Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Ah, so you guys kind of like yesterday's idea, huh? Okay, that's cool. I like that. I like that. That works. More ADP shifts have come over on Yahoo's draft analysis page. LeBron continues to move earlier, although technically I guess he's in the same slot there. Kyrie sliding ever closer to falling behind Damian Lillard. Little little ways to go still. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has fallen off a cliff with his ADP, and all of a sudden now he looks like a really interesting grab. And I think... Did we get a shakeup there towards the the last couple picks? Well, that might change who we talk about on today's show. But we might also just sort of fudge the edges of our range today. This is off-season episode number 103. I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. I can see from the numbers that this is officially y'all are back to thinking about basketball week. Because yesterday, Tuesday, was our most downloaded day of the offseason. The day before that on Monday was, I think, probably in the top 10 also. So this is uh, likely to be our most listened to week of the offseason. And that's always fun for me because that's sort of the cue to say, Hello, everybody. Welcome back. If many of you were listeners last year that just took the offseason off, that's fine. You don't have to listen all offseason long. I'd love it if you did. But you don't have to. Or perhaps a handful of you are new listeners that just decided to go out there and search for a podcast on Fantasy NBA. And here you are. So welcome. Hello. I'm thrilled to have you around. It's the run-up. Shoot, we'll be in September tomorrow. Last day of August today, off-season episode number 103. I am Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Lots of really important stuff today. I know you guys want me to dive straight into ADP analysis, but I do have to let you guys know. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And the Sports Ethos Draft Guide drops today in about, from the time I'm recording this, like four-ish hours from now. By the time you're listening, it might be out already. I don't know when you listen to the podcast. I'll tell you more about the draft guide in the middle of the show. For now, a reminder on what we're working on here. As of yesterday, I I thought it might be kind of interesting because on Friday we did a mock draft analysis, which was sort of like the let's do it this absurdly early thing. And then Monday, we sort of laid out the second round. Yesterday, on Tuesday, we went through with a little bit more of a fine-tooth comb on the, the players going currently with ADPs that would have them slotted 13 through 18. So the first half of round two, which if you missed yesterday's show is John Morant, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, and now everybody else is shifting around. As of yesterday, it was Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler. And now today it's actually Devin Booker and Jimmy Butler are in the front end of round two. So I'm not going to redo yesterday's analysis, but we do sort of have to make mention of the fact that Booker is moving up slightly. His number didn't actually change all that much. It was mostly that Kawhi fell down, but it does reshape the round a little bit. 
And the short version, the very fast version of what we determined on yesterday's podcast is that, forget John Morant for a moment, because again, he doesn't really belong here in nine category, whatever, particularly Roto, but nine category leagues in general. That Kyrie Irving and Damian Lillard are sort of your head-to-head battle to start that second round. Most people are going to go Damian, that's fine. Kyrie a little bit more of a home run hack there. And Anthony Davis... Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler, at least for a moment, seemed to be the three-player duel, or whatever you want to call it, for the next few spots. Well, now that might not be the case anymore. Although, I still might suggest taking Kawhi Leonard as maybe the most interesting of those three players, ahead of Anthony Davis, who you have to, you, you just sort of have to take the big swing there, and then Jimmy Butler. But now that Devin Booker is in that mix, it does change a little bit how you can set things up. Because Booker is for, and believe me, he had a wonderful season last year. Booker was number 20 per game. He played in 68 out of 82 games, which is about one more than league average. So by totals, he was right around that same spot. He was actually number 17, moved up the board a little bit by totals. 27 points, 5 boards, almost 5 assists. He did have over a steal per ball game, 47% from the field, 87 at the free throw line. A lot to like about Devin Booker, but no, really, no place for him to go. The one thing that he really needed to fix season over season to jump from the 30s to the 20s was his turnovers, and he did. Those are down to 2.4 this last year. And I think steals were actually a tiny bit better, but I'm not going to look at last season, because I, I don't think that's actually the, the super relevant part. Because Phoenix didn't really have any big-time shifts in their personnel, and I know Chris Paul gets a tiny bit older, you're just, there's sort of not really a world where Devin Booker needs to take more than 21 shots per game on that team, unless a bunch of guys get hurt. Unless, in particular, Chris Paul gets hurt. Because yes, he only took 13 shots, but Chris Paul had 11 assists per ball game, and when he's out, Book has to do more passing so you get that little assist bump so when you stack Booker up against the likes of Anthony Davis against the likes of Jimmy Butler Kawhi Leonard if you're going to put him in that grouping which is now where he falls also Paul George by the way has actually moved slightly in front of Kawhi I don't think that's all that relevant but you can throw it in there too PG was 16 last year all of those guys have been in the first round before Some of them were in the first round this most recent season. AD was number nine per game. Now, obviously, he couldn't stay on the floor, but Anthony Davis walks into first-round value when he's even a small shell of himself. Jimmy Butler was number 15 this last year, uh, mostly because his steals dropped from 2 to 1.6. If those go back up to 2, he moves right back into the end of the first round. Kawhi would almost have to consciously try to do less on the basketball court for him to not be inside the top 10 on a per-game basis. Which is why I don't think Booker actually belongs in that group because you have an opportunity here in the second round to grab someone who could be a first-rounder. And with someone like Kawhi, all it would take is about 63 ball games to get him to the first round, maybe less even. Jimmy Butler would probably have to play pretty close to league average number of games, which I don't think is going to happen. That's why he, to me, was at the back end of that group. 
And then Anthony Davis, depending on what the Lakers have going into this season, I think you'll be able to gauge how hard they're going to push their guys. But you know he wants to try to stay healthy because it's been a couple seasons now where he just hasn't. After the championship year where he generally was. I think he missed 10 games that year. That's quite reasonable. If he managed to make it through this one, he'd be an easy first-round value. If you want to lump Paul George into that mix, which you kind of, I guess you can now, although he does technically start our second group of six here, because now that first group of six is Ja, Kyrie, Dame, AD, Booker, and Jimmy Butler. Paul George last year sat at number 16 while shooting just 42% from the field. So again, looking at him, there's a pretty obvious what can we fix season over season, get him back up near 44% where he mostly has been throughout his career, but for you know the season here and there where he was under it. But as he's gotten older, despite taking a ton of three-pointers, he's been, thinking back to Oklahoma City where he really sort of woke up and had those first gigantic years, 43, 44, 44, 47% with the Clips. That was a year where Kawhi was healthy. And then 42 on ultra-high volume this last year. And that pretty much sunk him. Also, the 4.1 turnovers was far and away a career high. So sure, you can throw Paul George in that mix as well, but also he hasn't played a full season since Oklahoma City. His three years in L.A. have all been extremely injury-plagued. 24 games missed, 18, and then 51. 18, I think, would be kind of a target for him. Kawhi probably missing about 20 is something of a target. So now Kawhi moves into the second group of players with Paul George, and then Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton, Bam Adebayo, Demonis Sabonis moved into the edge of that grouping. Shea Gilgis-Alexander has actually moved way down the board. His ADP fell to 28, so he's no longer someone we have to concern ourselves with, and it's probably because Chet got hurt and people were like, oh no, they're going to tank again. They were going to tank anyway. So what do you do about those individual players? Well, you guys already know I'm totally fine with taking Kawhi Leonard in the front end of the second round. I don't, I mean, the fact that he now has fallen into what's effectively the 20 slot on draft boards just means that if you have like the fifth pick overall, now you have a fleeting shot of catching Kawhi coming back to you in the second round. That's wonderful. Because I mentioned on yesterday's show, if you have a pick in that in that three, or I guess it's really more like the four through six range, that's where you start to move out of these second-round players that have first-round potential. And now maybe, maybe you don't. So I still believe it was better the way it was set up yesterday. Kyrie and Dame are just one little click ahead of the AD, Butler, Kawhi, Screw it, you can throw Paul George in that mix if you want. And then Booker, who doesn't really have the per-game upside of those guys, but likely stays healthier throughout this year, is not a terrible decision to make in the middle of the second round. You're just sort of taking him at his apex. Because he fixed the things he needed to fix to get into the second round this last year. He did it. He's a fantasy success story. I don't know if it was by design, but he targeted consciously or subconsciously the categories we needed him to get better at and he did you could actually see Booker's field goal percent move up a tiny bit season over season I guess that's a way that he could inch a little farther forward but he also improved on his three pointers and that probably is why the field goal percent took a very small step back still decent 
for a shooting guard taking a truckload of shots. He's not hurting you there, but there have been seasons in his career where he's been slightly helpful. So I think once you get past those, the, you know, AD still has a shot at first round, Butler still has a shot at first round, Kawhi almost definitely has a shot at first round, Paul George, eh, unlikely. I would put him a click below those other dudes. And frankly, I think if you stack up Paul George against Devin Booker for me, I probably lean Book. Because I don't think PG gets back into the first round. And I just simply don't think that they have a goal of playing him enough games for it to be to for it to even be on the board. Like for it to be a, a possibility. So Booker, Paul George, Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton are kind of the next four that you'll be likely making your choices against. Now, I don't know how your exact league is going to go, but I do think that there is a certain... These are like the buckets within a bucket. Paul George, who again was number 16 last year, very, very prone to missing games. Donovan Mitchell was number 25 last year. He's another guy where you look at it and you're like, I don't... Like, how much better could he possibly get? He was rolling monster steal numbers for a long stretch. That Those eventually tapered off a little bit. He still finished at 1.5 steals per game. But you know, on a Utah team, if he's still there, seems unlikely, but if he's still there, that's a team that's going to probably end up having to tank at some point. So that's a big issue for Donovan Mitchell. He's pretty much as high as he could get last season. There's no obvious place for him to improve and if he gets moved to a team that's trying to win, he probably moves to a team that has other offensive players that won't necessarily come in front of him, but will hack away at it a little bit. So in this grouping here, which I guess, you know, if I'm still going to leave Kawhi at, in that 16, 17, 18 group, the Booker, then Paul George, then Donovan Mitchell, which would be technically, I guess, number 21, and then Tyrese Halliburton, who's currently listed at number 22 on the board, he likely belongs at the top of that group. Mostly because we saw it. Over the last month last year, Halliburton played 35 minutes a game with Indiana, averaged 16 points, 10 assists, 2.2 combined defensive stats, 50% from the field, and 89% at the free throw line. And there's a possibility that he doesn't have Buddy Heald sucking up a whole bunch of shots and Miles Turner on his team, which, by the way, is kind of good and bad for a guy who's averaging 10 assists a ball game. Uh, he's going to need to give the ball to someone. That only put him at number 24 on a per-game basis, but there was a big-time issue with small sample sizes in there meaning Shea was number three over that stretch but he only played in five games Josh Hart was number six over the last month of the year but he only played in five games De'Aaron Fox is number 15 in three games so you can actually kind of take the Halliburton number and move him up the board. And then you had, like, Al Horford in there, who was really good last year, but he's, you know, he's not going to be number 22. So you had all these weird, like, small sample size stuff going on in front of him. If Halliburton puts up that line for a full season, he's Chris Paul. Paul averaged 15 and 11 last year on good percentages, although, believe it or not, Halliburton actually better at the free throw line over that stretch than CP3. Probably takes a tiny bit more in the three-pointer department. And Chris Paul is a mid-second rounder. So take that 
and believe it or not, potentially elevate it a tiny bit, especially if you give Halliburton more usage here to close out the year. And you're talking about someone who probably on a per-game basis is profiling as an early second-rounder. He could get above that if he actually starts to shoot a little bit more. I just I don't know that that's in his player profile. So Halliburton, when you compare him to Booker and Paul George and Donovan Mitchell, probably profiles as the highest per-game name on that board. On a team, unfortunately, however, that's also one of the likeliest teams in the NBA to be tanking. So if you're looking at PG and you're thinking this dude always misses 15 ball games or more, you might need to look at Halliburton and think this guy's probably not going to play 77 games again on a team that's actively trying to lose when he is also their best player. The only, I don't know, man, even Donovan Mitchell is tough to say is just like a guy that's going to play in all the basketball games, but he and Booker in that group of four are likely to finish with the highest games played total. Could, maybe not by much. I mean, it's possible they rest Halliburton for like 15 games and Booker gets hurt a couple of times. Donovan Mitchell gets hurt a couple. Maybe they end up pretty close to one another. They kind of get there two different ways. One team playing really hard, giving their guys some breathers, little bumps and bruises. Other one not playing all that hard and they just take a guy and sit him down for a while. But it doesn't make the Paul George injury risk seem quite as significant when you consider kind of what he's up against in that grouping and even if you stretch it into the names in front of them that we were just talking about Anthony Davis who's more obviously injury prone and Kawhi who's going to probably take 20 games off there's actually quite a lot of games missed risk in the middle of the second round it's actually a fair amount in the first round too but I'd argue more in the second round Kyrie has some dame coming off an injury. It's almost the whole board, but I don't know. Like with Devin Booker, you don't look at him. You're like, oh, well, there's a, a reason he's likely to miss a bunch of ball games. It could happen, and it has happened the last couple of seasons, but it won't necessarily for sure happen the way that with some of these guys, you're like, okay, well, look, the upper limit of what they're even going to be trying to play this year is 66 ball games, and a bunch of the names we just mentioned fall into that category. Still... As you look at the next names on the board here, Bam Adebayo, who's at 23, and Damanis Sabonis at 24, I don't know that they really compete with these other names we were just talking about. Now, in Damanis Sabonis' defense, he can be a mid-to-high 20s per game guy if he's not being bubble-wrapped for the last month of the season, and Sacramento bubble-wrapped him and sat him down, and so his numbers were sort of driven down the board a little bit. And if you look at his, I want to say his last full year in Indiana, so that was 2021, sorry, 2020 to 2021, he played 36 minutes of ballgame that year, only missed 10 games, and went for 2012 and almost 7, and he was number 25 per game. That said, it's very hard to see him doing more than he did that season, as evidenced by what happened this last year, where he played about a minute and a half less, 19 and 12, five assists per game. His field goal percent was better. His free throw percent was actually a tiny bit better. Yeah, steals and blocks actually came down a little bit, which I think was expected. They were weirdly high the season before. But... Like, I, I don't know that I see him doing that much more in Sacramento than he did this last season because he is a guy that passes a lot 
He doesn't feel like he needs to finish every possession with a shot. So looking at the the big year in Indiana, that's probably a best-case scenario for Sabonis, which puts him right in that Donovan Mitchell grouping where that's sort of like 25 is a best case. And he'll probably be relatively healthy because I do like the Kings the way they're going to try to win this year. That's useful. And he's not a terrible pick at 23 or 24. When you look at some of the guys behind him, there's a few I'd rather have. But to me, he does fall. Donovan Mitchell at kind of the back end of that last group. He and Sabonis, you could almost group together. And then Bam Adebayo perhaps becomes the guy who's kind of out on an island here. Adebayo was number 39 last year. He got off to a really bad start. After he came back from his injury, he was certainly better. Late 20s on a per-game basis, 20 points, 10 boards, 3 assists, good defensive numbers. And, you know, I like with Kyle Lowry around and Butler and Tyler Hero, he doesn't have to get 5 assists per ball game anymore. And he, you know, 3 and change is still decent for a center. He's a good passing center and... The defensive stats will be there for him. More steals than blocks, typically. But he, to me, the ceiling for Bam has been lowered in a way where he doesn't really belong at the back end of the second round anymore. And the only way he gets there is by going back to being hyper-durable, which could happen. Now, last year might have been kind of a one-off for him, but to me, the Heat seemed like a team profiling to make sure their guys are healthy come playoff time. He doesn't have to play 75, 76 ball games. He might try to, and that'd be sweet. But you're at a point here where nothing is guaranteed. He felt like a near guarantee in health last year, and then he missed two months. So nothing is guaranteed in this group. Meaning, if you look at this board, all 12 names, or 11 if we exclude John Morant, who now towards the end of the second round, I guess you're starting to inch a little closer to where he might or should go off the board. I still don't think you're quite there yet. The other 11 names we just talked about, there's a risk associated with basically all of them, with perhaps the exception of, like, Demonis Sabonis, who's going to be trying to play every single ball game this year. The Kings are going to want him out there as often as humanly possible. Maybe Dame, although coming back from injury, I don't know. I just they strike me as a team that's going to need him on the floor. And... He'll play through stuff if he has to. So like nine out of the 11 guys are fairly risky. And when you've got a choice of a bunch of risky guys, you have your choice is actually sort of threefold. Uh, one, do you go with one of those guys that maybe is a little bit lower on the risk totem pole? But look, Dame is going to be gone in the first couple picks of the second round or earlier. And then Sabonis doesn't really have the upside of a number of those other guys in between the two we've talked about. Or, as you get towards the later part of the second round, is this where you actually just look down the board? Because Freddie Van Vliet is actually moving down the board. Chris Paul has not shown any signs of moving up. The Time Lord is moving down the board. Now, you again, you get into the order that you're drafting these guys. If you have a pick, let's say you have pick 20, and Kawhi is already off the board, and now you're looking at Maybe you need to be more like 22, and Halliburton's gone too. And so you're into this Donovan Mitchell, Demonis Sabonis, Bam Adebayo chunk of the second round. Is it okay to take Van Vliet at 22? Even though he'll probably be there, 23, 24, 25, 26, 26. Or if you had picked 21, he'll probably be there at 27. If you had picked 20, he's probably there at 28. 
do you reach down the board for these guys or do you risk it? Like, is there an actual advantage to taking Donovan Mitchell over Freddie Van Vliet? Or would you just take Van Vliet at 22 and then take Chris Paul or Time Lord or somebody that you like from the third round earlier than they're going off the board? And that is what we'll get into on our next episode. Hope you guys are enjoying this sort of six-by-six breakdown of the early parts of the draft. So many questions on the second round, and that addresses a couple of them. The... Oh! Oh, my goodness! I was going to do this in the middle of the show, but look, please do stick around for about 20 more seconds here while I tell you that the Sports Ethos NBA Draft Guide is coming in just a couple short hours. Please follow at ethosfantasybk, at Dan Bespris. I'll be tweeting about it as well. There are six features in the initial drop, and then there's going to be like 20 more things that come over the next couple of weeks. The features coming today, player profiles, hundreds of them, all the way across the league. Team previews, including minute per game projection markers on those guys. You've got a beginner's guide if you're actually just sort of diving into fantasy for the first year or two. You've got cash counters, guys that rack up steals, blocks, and three-pointers. Second-half sensations are in the draft guide coming today. Fact or fiction, it's a giant article. It's a two-parter on guys that either were very good or very bad last year, and whether it's something you can bank on continuing or if it's something that's likely to change for this coming season. And you guys know that down the line, the draft guide and the fantasy pass will have the Brewski 150. You'll have projections. You'll have uh, 8-cat, 9-cat, points leagues, rankings, the B150. You'll have a lot of that stuff mixed into it. You'll have mock drafts. You'll have interactive Q&As with pros. The list is so ridiculously long. Please do check it out. In fact, if you're going to do it, get a fantasy pass. I've been trying to convince people of this that have DM'd me about it. They're like, oh, but what if I just want to pay the one time for the draft guide? Yeah, but for like a couple dollars more, the fantasy pass gets you the B-150 five days earlier than the draft guide. It also gets you in-season fantasy pass stuff, so like pro Q&As all year long, basically. So you you just get stuff you get projections access to projections all year long you get everything that comes with the full season membership for a couple dollars more and it's spread out it's a six-month membership you cancel it at the end of six months if you like so you know you're as opposed to the lump sum i hate the lump sum a lot of people really like it i, I don't like the lump sum i'd rather stretch it out a little bit use my stretch provision on it so go to sportsethos.com get yourself a draft guide or fantasy pass today And you can feel free to bug me about it on Twitter if you have any questions. I'm happy to answer them because I think you will be quite pleased with what you see. Oh, they they worked until the wee hours of the morning on it. I know that as well. Welcome back to NBA, everybody. I can see you coming back. I'm excited to have you. Tomorrow we'll inch our way into the third round, and then we'll probably move on and do another mock at some point here soon because these numbers, like the times, they are a-changing. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Have a delightful Wednesday. I think that's what today is. Yeah. Enjoy the end of August. Talk to you guys in September. So long.